Well, as we have entered into uh, the Holy Week with Palm Sunday, I can't help but think of, of the joys it is to see a child's eyes light up uh, when you give them a palm branch, uh, and they're excited to see it and to wave it and to proclaim Hosanna. Uh, but as I, as I was reflecting upon um, this, this passage, I thought uh, about this and I thought about it, uh, you know, this is, is so exciting for, for us to, to look back and to see Jesus walk in. Uh, but there was uh, just a moment in which I thought for a second as I read uh, our scripture reading, this passage in Luke, that there were, were people there not saying Hosanna. That they weren't singing praises and they weren't uh, excited about what was going on. And, and it occurred to me that, you know, there, there's something very, uh, you know, disturbing or troubling to that in that here is, uh, you know, God's people that have been looking for a king for a long time. And while a lot of them there probably didn't fully understand what was going on and the later in the week we, we see that, there was some religious leaders there that were so engaged uh, in what they were believing and what they had seen and the way they were interpreting scriptures that when this guy Jesus came onto the scene, they, they couldn't see what he was doing. They couldn't see what he was trying to do and how he was trying to save them. So much so that when he comes in and he's fulfilling all these prophecies that they would have known, they're blind to it. And when they confront him, his response is, the rocks would cry out if these people didn't do it. And it was very chilling to me in the fact that it doesn't really matter what these religious leaders thought. It didn't really matter what they were considering. Our God is the one who serves and he rules and he reigns. And as we, as we think of that, we're approaching and we have just started a, a series on Revelation. Uh, Sam started it a couple months ago, or a, a month or two ago, and then we had a break for a missions conference. But in it, we were introduced to this prologue where we are seeing, uh, we see in there that, that Jesus is going to come back and he is going to ride on the clouds. And as we continue to read through, we see that there is very stark language here that is, is very different than a lot of times the way in which we approach God's word, a way in which we look at who Jesus is. And it's been a gift given to us, and it is one in which we are to use and to, to grow in as we look to the Lord. And so with that, we're going to see that there is a, a massive contrast between the religious leaders and that of the writer of the book of Revelation. What we're going to be looking at tonight is how do we, how do we survive uh, in a world that is often distracted, that is often uh, going to and fro in different ways, but how do we look and see how John was able to be sustained, how he was shown, and how he received salvation in the power of God's word. Uh, to do that, we're going to have those three different kind of points there as we look at it. But we're going to look through and go through the, the scripture. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses one uh, verses 9 through 20. Uh, you're welcome to turn there in your pew Bible. But as I read, you're, you're welcome to follow along with me. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient, test, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God in the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book 
and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. For as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. If you, this ends the reading of God's word. If you would pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to a text that is very weighty, a text in which we are brought into the throne room, into the upper room in which we see uh, your Son and his glory. Lord, we pray that you would assist me, that you would send your Spirit, that, Lord, you would equip me to be able to preach your word to these people. Lord, may we be willing and able to receive it uh, through the power of your Spirit. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So as I was saying, we're going to be looking at how John was sustained, shown, and received salvation by the power of God's word. First, we're going to look at how John was sustained by the power of God's word. Before we can do that, we need to understand a little bit of who John was. He was one of Jesus' disciples uh, who later became an apostle. At this age, uh, most would date him somewhere between 70 to 90 years old. Uh, All the other apostles have faced tremendous persecution And church history would say that they all have perished because of that persecution. They've been martyred. Uh, He is not retired. Uh, He's not gone to the island of Patmos because he wants to take a leisurely stay on an island filled with relaxation. But instead, he's been sent there as a political exile by the Roman Empire. While he was there, it was most likely that he was working in the mines and he was put to, to forced labor. Uh, in that, he was continued on in this uh, understanding that he was there uh, for a reason. Uh, we need to know who he was talking to. As we look at this, he starts off by saying his brothers and partners in uh, tribulation, the kingdom, and patient endurance. We also know that he is talking to the seven churches uh, that are a little difficult to pronounce. As uh, he goes forward in this, we understand as we continue to read the rex- rest of the book that he's talking to the church that was there, the church that he had helped plant, but also to the seven churches in which occupied the, the whole known world at that time. Uh, he was trying to communicate to them what was going on and what was going to need to happen. In this, we see that he was, he was a, a partner with them, he was serving with them, and that he considered them to be fellow brothers in, in the Lord. 
Uh, but we can also expand that out to know that these churches, uh, there were probably people that he didn't know there, but he was still considering them brothers. But we also know from the language here when it's referring to the seven churches that seven is the number that means completeness. And so John is not just writing to seven particular churches, but he would know that these letters, this, this book would go to those seven churches and then out from there to all of the churches. And even bigger with that, even more completely, John is, is knowing that this is going to go to not just that generation, but to generations ahead and to even to us so that we can know, first off, that John is writing these things to us, that he is writing this letter for us to be equipped, for us to know and to be sustained just like him. And so that brings us to the question, what did he need to be sustained from? As I introduced John, we know that he's facing a tremendous amount of persecution. He's, he's, he's in, a, in a season of tribulation. It's hard for him uh, as he's there and he's uh, possibly even been boiled in oil at this point. There's a tremendous amount of difficulty in which he's experienced in ministry. He went from early on seeing God do uh, amazing works through his sons, from walking on water to, to healing people, and, and it, was, it was relatively difficult, but then he saw uh, his, his savior uh, was, was murdered. He was hung on a cross, and then he died, and he was resurrected, and in that there was the, the glorious hope and excitement of, you know, this, this is the son of God. There was the assurance that came with it. But after that, uh, after the Holy Spirit comes and he, he goes through the wonderful joys of, of seeing Pentecost and having the, the tongue of fire above his head, uh, he sees the gospel going forth out and he sees thousands of people come to know the Lord. But in that, he sees that there are lots of people that are taking notice. He sees that all of a sudden there's this persecution that starts to rise up. With that persecution, there becomes this, this stomping out of, of trying to stomp out the church, but it continues to grow. But as the church grows, so does the persecution. John is, is a witness of this. He's experienced himself, and he's suffered through it. And he knows that there are others that are suffering along with him. He also knows that the, the Roman Empire at that point was trying to reign and rule over everything, but he knows that there is the kingdom. When he refers to that, he's referring to God's kingdom. He's talking about the knowledge in which he knows that he is not part of, of the Roman Empire, but he's a part of God's kingdom. He is, he is there, and the reason that he's been put on the island of Patmos is, yes, the Roman Empire has done that, but ultimately because the Lord wants him there. And then also in there we see probably one of the more difficult is that he has patient endurance. He doesn't fully understand at this point when he got there what was going on. Why on earth is all of this being allowed to happen and yet all of a sudden he's given this vision and he's all of a sudden shown this is the purpose in what you're doing here. And so there's a, a great en encouragement that we have here of the care in which uh, John or that the Lord has for John. Uh, it's, it's particularly interesting that up until this point, we see that the account that John gives for how he's able to be sustained, how he's able to made it, make it through all these difficulties. He says, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It's the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that has made it, allowed him to be sustained up until this point in ministry. But we also see that there's a particularly a helpful thing in which the Lord does is he looks to the church, he looks and he sees, and as a, as a wonderful king and as a wonderful Lord, uh, he sees that he can equip the church better for what lies ahead, that he can give more to the church in it. And so we are given this wonderful book of Revelation, and so he gives it and he shows 
John the power of his word. And that's our next point. John was shown the power of God's word. Uh, As we enter into this vision in which we see John on the Lord's Day, uh, which is uh, the the Lord's Day or Sunday, uh, we see that uh, there's some particular uh, pitfalls that we might be able to jump into or fall into. As we look to this, uh, this vision, it would be easy for us to start trying to envision in our head what, what's going on here. We might even try and draw it out. But if you spent any time doing that, you would see that there's some particular difficulties with that. Because there's a whole lot that, that we don't fully understand. But one of the things that I think we need to be encouraged to look at in this is that John has been called up into a, a place in which the Lord is dwelling. And he is trying to put into words things that he's seen. And doing so, it would be wrong for us to just look at this passage alone and say, oh, this is is what it means. But we need to look at the full scope of Scripture. We need to understand that John was pulling from other passages like the book of Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and and even more than that. Uh, This is not a literal picture of what Jesus looks at. This morning we heard that uh, that uh, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Here we see him standing. This isn't a conflict. This isn't a contradiction. But this is what John is trying to communicate, the way in which the Lord uh, is, is showing us Jesus in his reigning and ruling from on high. I think one way that might be helpful for us to look at this is if you think of an acrostic. If you think of uh, particularly... In the Psalms, you see that they take the Hebrew alphabet, and in that there's, there's a letter, and next to that letter, there's a description that, that goes through and explains and expounds upon uh, some attribute of God, some way in which it's being communicated. If we look at each one of uh, these sections, we see that, that there's a, an attribute of Jesus that's being communicated that will be helpful for the church, that shows us the power of God and his word. Uh, What's very clear at the beginning in this is we see that John is trying to very clearly show us the the three different offices in which Jesus holds. If we look at this, they're not in the the normal order of prophet, priest, and king. We see that there are priest, and then king, and then prophet at the end. And if we just go through in that order, starting in verse 13, or verse 12 and 13, we see that uh, John is, is trying to illustrate to us that Jesus is the priest. We see that he's clothed in a long robe with a golden sash. This is the, the, what, what those that would be serving in the temple would wear. They're wearing this, this, uh, this priestly robe. And then we get to his hair. You know, many of us would, would not necessarily picture Jesus having white hair. But it's being communicated here that Jesus has white hair because he's pure. His hair is, is pure like the snow. It's like this, these, um, it's like this animal hair. And so it's, it's not up for us to necessarily picture, but to understand that it's white like wool, like snow. And you can think of the pureness of, of a of fresh snowfall. As we move along, we also see that John is also showing that Jesus is the king. Uh, when we see that, we see that, uh, that he is described as the son of man. Douglas Kelly refers to this as the the sovereign master of an indestructible kingdom that is going on to crush all others. We see here as well that that it's describing these eyes that are like fire. These eyes that are able to go out and they are to to look into the souls of men and to discern and to rule and to reign over them. We have a a very familiar illustration as well as when we look to these feet 
When we think of these bronze feet, uh, it's not necessarily saying here that these are a literal bronze feet that would not be movable or anything like that. But there's an image here that you would, if you read from Daniel 10, that you would say that these are, these are feet that have been pulled out of the, a hot oven or a hot furnace or, or kiln, and they are ready to stomp down any opposition that comes up against the, the king, that he is ready to rule and to reign and is ruling and reigning. And as we continue on, we look at also as the, at the prophet. We see that here that his voice was like the roaring of many waters, and the power was going out, of his word was going out. We can think about John as he's on the island of Patmos, and surely as there was nights in which the wind would, would blow, and it would howl, and it would make the, the waves crash upon the rocks of the shore, and he was, was deafening. And so in here we are, we are shown that there's this, this power in the word that, would, that goes out of the prophet's mouth. We also see that there's this description of this sword that comes out of his mouth. It's sharp and two-edged. One side is to save the believers, and the others is to cut down those that believe, uh, that don't believe. And that's not all. In that, we're also shown that there are stars and lamps. If we continue on down uh, to verse 20, we see that, that Jesus describes what these different uh, mysterious things are. First, if we look at the stars, there are some, some difficulties that they're there to interpret, be able to interpret these. If we look, look at the stars, many would say that there's basically two different camps in which uh, you could interpret this. The first being that maybe uh, Jesus is talking about uh, that these are pastors of the seven churches, that these individuals have been called. The reason for this is the word for angel here in the Greek means messenger. Maybe these are describing men that are going out as messengers to the, the good news of the gospel. Uh, but probably the, the, the better re- representation or interpretation is that these are literal angels that uh, the Lord has set upon each one of these churches and uh, that they're there uh, to remind us of uh, the care that the Lord has over his church. Uh, either one uh, has its, its plus and its minuses, but I think the major goal is here is to not get lost, but to be reminded that over each church, there is a blessing and care that the Lord has over them and that there are messengers that are present there for the church. We're also told that there's these lampstands and these lampstands represent the churches, the seven churches. Again, seven churches would mean that there's a completeness, the fulfillment of, of all the churches, of all of them. And in that, uh, there's a point in which I would draw your attention to Again, just how difficult and how dangerous this passage is if we start to make huge theological conclusions from it. Let me just ask you for a moment to spend a second uh, contemplating in your mind, what does this, this room look like in which John is describing? Is it actually a room? What do the lampstands look like? Are they gold lampstands? Are they a bronze? Would you find them at a garage sale? Or would you find them at some kind of... Uh, uh, in some kind of Harry Potter book that you read about. There's a, there's a whole lot of differences here. Would you think of this as a dark room or a room filled with smoke? There's, there's a lot of areas in which we don't know, but one in which we, we are pretty clear of is that this isn't necessarily a dark setting, but this is one filled with light. Because in the center of it, we know that there is Jesus, and his face is shining like what? 
like the sun shining in full strength. Again, we are brought to the realization that John is on an island, and he sure is, uh, probably has seen the sun beating down on him, and he understands what it means to be hit with bright light like the sun, the, the sun shining at full power. And so there's all of a sudden this, this understanding and this ability in which as we read this passage, we're not able to fully comprehend the, the magnitude in which Jesus is being revealed here to John. In fact, we're only able to start to get a glance of that, glance, glance of that is when we start to see how John receives salvation from the word. And that brings us to our last point. As we look at this closing, as in verse 17, we see this, this very uh, terrifying uh, moment in which John all of a sudden is communicating to us just exactly how he felt when he saw all of this. It says that he fell down as though he was dead. And we've seen this throughout all of Scripture. Anytime there's someone that comes in front of our holy God, they are brought low. And in this, they start to recognize and they start to see that there is a giant divide between who they are and who God is. They understand their own sin and they understand how holy and perfect God is. They understand that they need that perfect priest. They need that mediator for them to be able to go. These are all things that John knew. These are all things that he has uh, been taught and he's even preached to other people. But in this, we see his reaction. We even remember back to the fact that John was actually called up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the face of Jesus and the glory shining forth from it. But here he is again. He's humbled before the Lord. And we see how John's reaction is fitting to what he sees. He sees, he doesn't run away, he doesn't flee, but he falls down at the feet of Jesus. He falls at the feet of his Savior, and we see one of the most glorious pictures of the gospel going forth in the way in which Jesus responds to John falling down. We see that he reaches out his right hand, and he says to him, he says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Here we see that that. The gospel is about to go forth. He's about to be told the gospel again, and he is going to remind John of it. Here he is. He says, I'm the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the I am. I am the one in which is holding this world in which you dwell together. I, I control it all. It is mine. And he says here, I am the living one. I died. So here he is reminding him of, hey, I came and I lived. I, I served among you. I, I loved you. I was the one in which was able to fulfill all of the laws. I was the one that was able to remain pure as I went into the, into the temple to intercede for you. I was the one that was to be the perfect king that reigns over you. And I was the one to perfectly proclaim the truths that are found in the word. And I'm here and I'm alive. I'm not dead. And what does he receive when he's alive? What did he receive when he was raised from the dead? He received the keys of death and Hades. He's the one in which is ruling and reigning over, high, over, high, over all. And so in this, we are uh, reminded, just like John was, that Jesus is in control of all and that he is trying to show uh, his people uh, that he loves them and that he cares for them and that he is interceding for them. And so with that, I have a few closing application points to, to consider as we think of this passage and we head to the table. The first one is, how do we as a church, and the church in this, 
as Carriage Lane, but also uh, the church at large, how do we consider tribulation in the church today? We just heard of a tragic shooting up in uh, Tennessee. We see the hardships in our own lives. We see the difficulties of it. But oftentimes, we see ourselves trying to live in a bubble. John uh, knew very well that that's not how life was going to work, that even inside of those bubbles would be difficulties. Inside of the hardships of life, uh, as we live in this fallen and broken world, there would be difficulties. And so what are we, how are we using the word of God to be able to prepare for those times of trouble? How are we helping others around us as we do that? How are we encouraging others to be in the word as John is encouraging them to be here? He knows in his own life and his own testimony that the only way in which he's able to be able to be sustained is through the power of God's word. How are we encouraging others around us to be in the word, to be encouraged in it, and to be able to survive in these difficult and trying times? Uh, next, how, what comforts do we find? Do, do we find? Do we find in what John was shown? Uh, so, as we look at this passage, it's easy for us to get mesmerized by all of the amazing things in it. But I think there's some very particular things in which I skipped early on that shows us a tremendous amount of comfort. Uh, when we talked about the angels or those messengers to the seven churches, where were they located? If you read back, you'll realize that they were in the right hand of Jesus, that he is holding them as they are going forth and that they are messengers to the church. If we think of those lampstands, it tells us the location that they were as well, that Jesus is in the center of them, that he is in the midst of the church and that he is in the middle of serving and to maintaining these lampstands, that he's actively engaged in protecting his church and making sure that it's doing well and to making sure that it is doing all that he's called it to do. We'll continue on later in this, in this uh, book and know that there are difficulties that come to churches, but we know that Jesus is at the center of it. And in this, we know that each one of these attributes of his, of his offices, we know that there is a tremendous blessing for us. And even in that, that we have a priest that we can go to directly with direct access to the Lord and be reminded of how he intercedes for us perfectly each and every day. And then the final point is do we understand our need of the gospel? There are some of us um, that maybe have an understanding of it. Uh, we think uh, and we are reminded of, of how we heard it as a, as a child or maybe later in life in which we were shown the gospel and we, we saw the effects of sin in our lives. We saw the difficulties of it and we turned from those sins through the power of the Holy Spirit and we turned to the Lord and we were saved and we're thankful in it. But oftentimes we forget the need of the gospel. We forget that we need to preach it to ourselves each and every day, that we need to hear it from our pulpits, that we need to hear it uh, from, from our, our loved ones, that we are saved only through the work of, of Christ, that it's not that we got to some point and now that we have it on our own, that Jesus is the one doing the work throughout all. There's also the realization that there might be some in this room this, more, this evening that don't know the Lord, that maybe you've heard the scriptures, maybe you were like those uh, religious leaders uh, that were looking at, John, or looking at Jesus as he came in on Palm Sunday, and they're, you're confused, you're frustrated at the ways in which things are going on in life, and you don't have that true comfort. You don't have the understanding that the Lord is protecting you and has saved you. And there's a great comfort in this, uh, in this passage here 
that in it you see the work is being done by Jesus. You see that John has just humbled himself and he's humbled himself before the Lord and knows his place and the Holy Spirit has enlightened him of that. And so I would encourage you, if this is, if you, this is you and you are wrestling with whether or not you are a believer, to cry out to the Lord, to find assurance in his ability to show you himself and in doing so to be reminded of how he is holding you fast and he will never let you go. And with that, uh, let me close us in prayer as we head to the table. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the 66 books that make up uh, your Bible, uh, that one in which you have given to us, uh, not in a foreign language, not in a tongue in which we don't understand, but Lord, you've given to us in our own tongue in which we can read, ways in which we can hear them preach from, a way in which we can work to understand. Lord, we pray that you would give us the ability to trust in you more through it. Lord, that you would equip us for what lies ahead. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we head to this table. Lord, may we be reminded by what you have done and what it costs for us to be able to come. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.